0: They have a greater influence on us. For instance, marriage. In fact, marriage so dramatically changes our lives. Probably some of you would have waited an extra day or two as you reconsidered it. But it makes a difference in our lives. Dan Bennett said, some girls who are an armful during courtship become a handful after the wedding ceremony. Socrates wrote, by all means, marry. if you get a good wife, you will become very happy. If you get a bad one, you will become a philosopher. (laughs) I know that wives could say the same thing about husbands, but I'm a husband and I'm up here. (laughs) Something else that changes our lives, that impacts our lives is children. Children totally change your life, do they not? I mean, you bring a baby home from, from the hospital just born, you bring this baby home, and they want to eat when you want to sleep. Have you noticed that? We eat at 6, not at 2. But they want to eat when, they, when you're trying to get some sleep. And then your time is also impacted because uh, Dad no longer plays golf on Saturday, now he's at a soccer match. You are at home sitting on an old, old worn out couch because you're trying to pay for music lessons for a child that has no musical aptitude at all. (laughs) And about the time you get used to the children, you sort of work that out, then grandchildren come along. Didn't you enjoy the two grannies singing a while ago? You didn't know that? Pam and Trudy, they are new grandmothers, they have a new grandpa. Well, you know, I mean, it's fun right now, but you wait till you get that kid home. <laughs> you try to figure out what is my role with a grandchild, what is my relationship with a grandchild. So these things all impact our lives. But the event that greatest had the greatest impact on our lives is the resurrection of Jesus. And I want us to look at that today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You've heard the story many times, nothing new to you the resurrection of Jesus. What if we were to look at our subject as an attorney? What would be our case? If we are considering the resurrection of Jesus Christ as an attorney, what case would we make? Well, there are two parts to the claim. You see there in verse number 6, and he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. Well, there's not anything new with that. that. That's not anything mysterious. He has been crucified. Now, the last week of Jesus' earthly life was a strange week. When he came to Jerusalem, he received a hero's welcome. They had a parade for him. The Bible says in Matthew 21, 9, And the multitudes going before him And those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's the way that it began. The week began in Jerusalem with Jesus coming. There was a parade. He received a hero's welcome. Hosanna to the Son of David. As the week wore on, This reception turned to rejection. They began to turn against him. Judas denied him for 30 pieces of silver. Simon Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. The townspeople turned against him. John 19, 6 says, And when therefore the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify! Crucify! So the leaders turned against him. They rejected him. Crucify him. The crowd joined in in chapter fifteen, verse number thirteen. They shouted back, Crucify Him. But Pilate was saying to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify Him. And wishing to satisfy the multitude, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Okay, so there's nothing new there. He has been crucified. He came into a hero's welcome. The people turned against him. They cried out, Crucify him. Pilate, in order to receive favor from the crowd, turned him over to be crucified. And they took him out to Golgotha, and there they crucified him. Now, the second part of the claim is also in verse number six, where it says, And he has risen. We have no problem with the idea that he was crucified. Hundreds of people have been crucified. Nothing strange about that. He has risen. Oh, that's different. He has risen. He has been crucified, but he has risen. Is there any proof of that? Any evidence of that? In Acts chapter 1, verse number 3, the scripture says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs the amplified bible says by a series of many convincing demonstrations and unquestionable evidence and infallible proofs what would that be it, it is stated that he was crucified but he has risen he is not there the bible says that there were many convincing proofs unquestionable proof what was it what is it that would say to you this morning that Jesus Christ rose from the dead what would be the evidence well I suppose you would begin by looking at the empty tomb because you have to ask the question why is the tomb empty you see it was secured when Jesus was laid in the tomb it was secured by the Romans they, they put a large stone in front of the mouth of the tomb. It is estimated to have weighed two tons. They stationed 16 Roman guards 24 hours a day around it. Not all at the same time, but 16 Roman guards. Matthew chapter 27 says that they sealed the tomb. So I want you to understand that Jesus was laid in the tomb. There was a two-ton stone put in front of it. Roman guards stationed around it, and it received the Roman seal. So how did he get out? Well, there are those who have always said, well, the body was stolen. I would ask the question about that, the body, well, who stole it? Who was it who stole the body? How did they get past the Roman guards? How did they move the stone? John says something interesting in John chapter 20, verse 5. His account, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. All right, so John then gets to the tomb. He looks in, and he sees the linen wrappings lying there. Why would someone steal the body and unwrap it before they took it? It makes sense to me that you would leave it wrapped, but the Bible says that the linen wrappings were lying there. The truth of the matter is we can look at all the theories and so forth, but the most plausible conclusion is the resurrection. That is actually the most plausible conclusion to the empty tomb. Now, There's some other things. It changed disciples. The Bible says that when Jesus was arrested, the disciples fled in Matthew 26, 56. Then all the disciples left him and fled. All right. Consider the disciples. The Bible says that when Jesus was arrested, they ran. They fled. They were trying to save their own lives. After the resurrection, those same men believed so strongly in the resurrection that they were willing to give their lives for the resurrection. In fact, all the disciples but one was martyred because of their faith in Jesus. I read an article this morning that said uh, the most persecuted group of people in the world today is Christians. Christians are being martyred by the thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Why? If there is no resurrection, why? So I look at the disciples after the resurrection. These men who had fled were willing to become martyrs because of their belief in the resurrection. John Stott said perhaps the transformation of the disciples is the greatest evidence of all. For the resurrection. Uh, you might ask another question: Were there any eyewitnesses? Anyone who actually saw this? Yeah. There were 515 who saw him on twelve different occasions after the resurrection. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. He appeared to Cephas or Simon Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So according to the Apostle Paul, the resurrected Christ appeared to over 500 people at one time. Now you might say that a person who thought that he was resurrected or alive was delusional, but 500 at one time. All of them had the same delusion at the same time. And Paul said most of them remain, most of them are alive now. So if you want to go check with them, you can go and check with them. Some of them have died, but he said most of them are still alive. Well, if I were an attorney, I think that I could prove my case if I had 500 eyewitnesses, don't you? 500 eyewitnesses. Something else is the Lord's Day, the Jewish believers change their day of worship from Saturday to Sunday in commemoration of the resurrection of the Lord. Most of you today could give testimony of your belief in the resurrected Christ, his presence, that he is present with you, his provision, how he's provided for you during difficult days. His power, that he's given you the power that you've needed in life. Lee Strobel was an agnostic attorney. He decided to study the claims of the resurrection to refute it. He wrote in his book, The Case for Christ I had read just enough philosophy and history to find support for my skepticism. A fact here, a scientific theory there, a pithy quote a clever argument. Sure, I could see gaps and inconsistencies, but I had a strong motivation to ignore them, a self-serving and immoral lifestyle that I would be compelled to abandon if I were to change my views and become a follower of Jesus, which he did. The skeptical attorney did his study and became convinced of the resurrected Christ. The case for the resurrection, well, there was an empty tomb. There was a changed disciples, and there were eyewitnesses. So what does it mean? What are the consequences? You know, you've heard the story, as I've said, but so what does it mean to you today, 2017? What does it mean for you? Does it make any difference? What does it mean that 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead? So what does it mean today? Well, it means that you can have new life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. You see, ladies and gentlemen, because of the resurrected Christ, we can have purpose in life. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You know what your purpose is as a believer? To bring glory to him. To honor him with your life. You are not without purpose if you know the Lord Jesus. And so his resurrection means that we have purpose in life. We've got a new life. In Jesus we have a new life and we have purpose, we have passion. Because of the resurrection, we can have passion in life. I, I don't understand people, and I know a number of them, but they just sort of meander through life, just waiting for it to get over, it seems. No passion, no purpose. I was thinking about some of that. What does it mean to me, just as I hope you will today? What does the resurrection mean to you? It gives me purpose, You know what? Even at my age, I have great passion for life. I would especially say this to some of you students. Because I really don't want you to live your life and then just glad when it's over. But with Christ, the resurrected Christ, you can have purpose in life and passion for life. I have passion for my wife. That might be different than it was some years ago, but I, I love her with all my heart. I have a passion for this church. Love this church. This is the greatest church in the world. I know that there are other people who think theirs is. But well, don't tell them any different. But I have a real passion for this church. Love this church. Love life. You see, I believe that is all because of the resurrected Christ, that, that if you're going to have real meaning in life, if you're going to have purpose in life, if you're going to have pra- passion in life, that it's going to come because you walk with him, the one who gives life. The resurrection opens up possibility to life. There was a teacher asked her class one day what they wanted to be when they grew up in elementary school. One little boy, she asked him, What do you want to be? And he said, I want to be possible. She said, what do you mean you want to be possible? He said, well, my mama says that I'm impossible. (laughs) Well, in Christ, we can have possibility in life. It is through the resurrection that we have purity in life. It is because of the resurrection we have power for life. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. My friend, you're going to need power in life, and it comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. I sit up here every Sunday and pray, Holy Spirit, give me the power to do what you call me to do. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your situation is, but I know that you're going to need power for life. And I know that the Holy Spirit gives us the power that we need for life. It is because of his resurrection that we have a, an eternal home in heaven. So what does it mean? Well, it means that we have a new life. I've come that you might have life, and that you have it abundantly. That's what it means, that you can have life. Because Jesus conquered death. It also means that you can experience forgiveness. You remember the story in the New Testament about the friends who brought their friend to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus said to him, my friend, your sins are forgiven. He was forgiven. Thursday night we received the Lord's Supper in the Maundy Thursday service, which is a reminder to us of the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I would know that there are some of you who are so beaten down by the sin in your life. Carry such guilt because of the sin in your life. Good news. Jesus Christ paid for your sin, that you might be forgiven of your sin. See, that's what the resurrection means—that we can be forgiven of our sin. It also means hope, that we can have hope for life. You see, hope is is. Not in politics, I know that we get to thinking it is sometimes that if we get this person elected or that person elected, then we can have hope. How many times have you been disappointed by a politician? That's not where a hope lies. Money, some of you think, if I, if I can just get enough money set aside, then I'm okay. My hope is in money. Oh, money goes up and down like a yo-yo. My grandson Glenn, uh, senior and in high school he decided that he was going to start investing in the stock market and so he he uh, he invested something in some i don't know what it was but he invested in something he was excited the first week he made four dollars i mean he's the next warren buffett he is on the way he made four dollars and he was so upset the next week because he lost two dollars see that's money Money is simply a means to get what you want. But it can't, if money ever becomes an end for you, then it is your idol. It is a means to an end, but it is not the end with itself. Our hope is not in the stock market. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the hope of heaven. So what does it mean? We talk about the resurrection. You're here today because we celebrate the resurrection. So what does it mean? It means that we have new life. That we are offered forgiveness and we have hope. We have hope in the resurrected Christ. So we have gathered today to celebrate the resurrection. And I looked at the emotions. First of all, there's wonder. I was looking at the disciples. There are three different words that are used to describe the emotion of the disciples at this time. The first is fear in verse number 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word afraid that is used there literally means that they they wanted to run away. They were so frightened. That when they came and saw that the tomb was empty, they were so frightened that they wanted to run away. But then in verse 8, it says that they were astonished. That word means a holy frenzy or enthusiasm. So when they came and saw that the tomb was empty, they were were scared. They didn't understand it. And they were so fearful that they wanted to run away, but then at the same time, they were astonished. They they were enthused about it. And then the word amazed in verse number 5. They were amazed at the possibility, the possibility that he was alive. Can you imagine that first Easter? That you came and saw the tomb was empty. What happened to the body? Is he alive? The Bible says that they were afraid. They were astonished. But then they had great joy. When the women came to the tomb on that... First Easter morning, the Bible says in Matthew 28, and they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. When they came, saw that the tomb was empty, the Bible says that they left with fear, but great joy. Great joy because Jesus was alive. The disciples, Luke 24, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. On that first Easter morning, there was great joy. I believe that should characterize a believer. That we should be people of great joy because no matter what we're going through, the Savior lives. Why do we have joy? Well, because sin has been conquered. When Jesus died on the cross, you recall that he said to telestire, it is finished. It is finished. What was finished? What was finished is that he had paid for the sins of mankind, paid for my sins, for yours. So all of our sins have been paid for by Jesus when he died on the cross and death then is defeated. We have great joy because our sins have been paid for, death is defeated, so Easter then is a celebration of hope. Some of you today may be facing some disease, some illness. Jesus is the healer. Some of you today may have your marriage hanging together by thread. Jesus is the uniter. Some of you today may be suffering from financial consequence. Jesus is the provider. And some of you have unforgiven sin. And Jesus is the Savior. As I conclude today, the case for the resurrection is solid. It was an empty tomb. Eyewitnesses changed disciples, personal testimonies. The consequence of the resurrection is that we are given new life. We experience forgiveness and we have hope for tomorrow. I read a story about a little boy. His name was Jeremy. Jeremy. Jeremy was 12 years old and in the second grade. He had a terminal illness. He drooled. Kids in his class made fun of him. The teachers found him difficult. On one occasion, the teacher was teaching a lesson and she said, I want you to take one of those plastic eggs and put something in it that symbolizes life. The day came that they were to bring their eggs back, and as she opened the eggs, there would be a butterfly in one, there would be a flower in another, and so forth. When she came to Jeremy, she opened it up, and it was empty. She said, Jeremy, your egg is empty. He said, yes, ma'am. But the tomb... Of Jesus was empty. A month later he died. The students went to his funeral and they came by his casket and they laid empty eggs on his casket, 19 of them. He is not here The tomb is empty. He is risen. And we are offered life. Our Father and God, I thank you for the empty tomb and the living Savior. I thank you, Father, for the power, the life, the purpose, the passion that is ours in Jesus. And Lord, today I simply pray for those who have never experienced the living Lord. Maybe they've experienced church membership, maybe they've experienced baptism, maybe they've experienced religion, but they've never experienced Jesus. I pray today they might. They might trust you as Savior in Christ's name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, the choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. You are invited, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, to do so today. If you're willing to commit your life to it. And the staff will be here to talk with you and pray with you. If you're willing to commit your life to it. There are some of you, and maybe you're considering becoming a part of this church. We'd love to have you in our family. Our door's are open to you. We'd love to have you. But as God speaks to your heart, I pray you'll be obedient to it. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come, I greet you as you do. remain standing if uh, you're a guest and are uh, going to get one of the books you get it out in the foyer after it's over happy easter god bless you and thank you for being here today our father and god we thank you again for the celebration of your resurrection lord we worship you and praise you because you and you alone are worthy in the name of jesus i pray (laughs)
1: Yes! <laughs>